I'm Dr. Jill Weiner. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, along with some of my own insights and explorations on topic ranging from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice and beyond. In order to provide a nuanced, educational, and honest examination of systemic racism and dominant culture. Before I start, I would like to do a land acknowledgement that this podcast episode is being recorded on the stolen Creek and Muscogee lands. All right, I am so excited to have Eva Medelec on the podcast today. She is a certified high-performance coach, international speaker, number one best-selling author, and cultural inclusivity trainer. She's worked with men and women in the areas of personal development, leadership, inclusive intelligence, and mastering habits for success. Eva specializes in helping busy professionals have more time, money, and success without sacrificing health, well-being, and relationships in the process. As a keynote speaker, Eva shows you how to generate the energy needed to reverse the burnout we experience from trying to do it all. Most recently, Eva is a radio talk show host on Voice America's Influencer Channel. Her show, What's Important Now, Making Time for What Matters Most, brings brings to light hot topics and guests that focus on important matters facing us today. She uses her personal experiences along with her leadership, relationship, and high-performance training to teach you how to have it all without sacrificing it all. Eva, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Jill. I'm real excited for our conversation today. Awesome, awesome. So you and I have spoken and you 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 have sort of shifted gears a little bit with the work that you're doing now, um, in addition to doing high-performance coaching. So I'd love to hear your story of how you got started coaching, a little bit about you and, and your background and how you got into coaching and then what what led you to shift gears a little bit to get more into the equity space. And of course, I want to talk about your amazing book. So thank you. Thank you. Intimacy of race, which we'll talk about later and will be linked in the show notes, but just how has this progressed? Well, you know, I I actually started coaching in the real estate investment space um, when I made the decision to become an entrepreneur after being downsized from my profession of over 30 years at the age of 50, I realized that I did not want to keep working to make other people rich and then, you know, have my, my freedom. There were things my husband and I wanted to do. I was newly married and, you know, and I just asking permission to take time off or to visit family or to go to a funeral just was not jiving with me. I'm like, I'm a grown woman. Mm. And so I, you know, we started our own real estate investment company in the entrepreneur space and the success that we had in that company led the, um, you know, in that business led the company that I got trained in to, to ask me to come in and mentor and coach and speak. And so that's how I got started coaching. But what I found that you can have all the knowledge in the world and still not take action in implementing what you're learning. And that's what I was finding with a lot of my, um, my coaches, if you will, that there was still that, that, that mindset, that courage, those confidence things that were coming up from them that were holding them back from success, you know, the fears. And that's when I started to, um, you know, switch my coaching to include more uh, performance-based life coaching so that 
we could get out of our own ways and really create success in every area of our lives. So that's pretty much how I got started. And the interesting piece in how it became um, niche to high performance coaching was when I was building my real estate business and I was still working my day job as a dental hygienist, I was, um, you know, really burning the candle at both ends, if you will. And mm -hmm. if you've ever seen that commercial or heard the commercial from a long, long time ago, where this woman comes out in three different outfits and she's singing, I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan and never let you forget you're a man because I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. It was called the eight hour perfume for the 24 hour woman, which, you know, gives you that setup that you got to work yourself to death pretty much, but sure. at least you'll smell good for eight of those hours, right? For the man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was pretty much trying to be that woman in the commercial. Like I can do it all so that I could have it all. And I was literally burning myself out. Yeah. So the stress and the overwhelm and exhaustion, um, really took its toll on my health, um, my mood, and eventually my relationship. And when my relationship was in breakdown, when I discovered my husband's infidelity because uh, the, the tension in our marriage was building because I was so doing and success orientated that I lost sight of what was important to me mm. and why I was doing all of this work to build this, this empire, if you will. And, um, you know, I came across, you know, my coach, Brendan Burchard, he wrote the book, High Performance Habits. And, um, and I applied to learn how to be a coach in that methodology. And that was just a game changer for me. So that's pretty much how I started um, to get into the coaching world. What a story. It sounds like there's been so many things that informed your journey. And I mean, as there always are, but some pretty hard lessons that you had to learn. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was messy. <laughs> it was messy along the way. But, you know, because I had been a coach, and I had done uh, leadership training as well, you know, we had, I had the tools to really um, take responsibility, I like to say for my part in that breakdown in our marriage. And we had the emotional maturity to really look at what the root cause of the breakdown was and mm -hmm. hire help. We hired coaches and therapists and mentors to get us through that rocky time. We did not fool ourselves into thinking we could do this all on our own. And it was through that, that we really, I think, I know we came out stronger on the other side of that than we were before that. So I always say my husband's infidelity saved my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> it's something you hear every day, but it's definitely going <laughs> to stick with people. I think it's, it's really, I mean, it's going through the things and feeling all the feelings and then also learning from them is, is, uh, and, and, and being able to eventually see, see, get some growth or see some growth from it is, is great. And it's the responsibility piece. You know, mm -hmm. I could have been a victim. I could have gone the girlfriend route, you know, and, and burned his clothes and had girlfriends like, child, you should do this and you shouldn't be this. And I would do this. And, you know, I intentionally made sure nobody um, bashed my husband because mm. he was hurting and, you know, the pain that he was, ex was feeling was expressed in a self-sabotaging manner, but we were both 
two individuals hurting and we didn't come to each other for comfort. Right. And, um, and so knowing who he is as a core person, I was really strategic in the level of support that I got that nobody could talk crap about my husband doing this. You know, we are both going through something and we need loving support and care around this. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. So how did you get, how did you start getting into doing more inclusivity consulting and, and getting more into that space? And, and where does, where did you get the idea to start to write your book? You know, that happened literally when I finally was brave enough to watch the video of George Floyd's murder. Mm. You know, you know, we we were all in lockdown from from COVID and this this incident happened. And and to me, as a, as a woman of color, it was just like, here we go again. Another black man killed at the hands of the police. And, you know, but and so I didn't even pay attention to it. But I noticed the story getting bigger and not going away and more people talking about it and protests happening. And I'm like, okay, um, I really didn't need to see a video of a man being murdered, but all right, let's see what everybody's talking about. And when I finally got brave enough to watch that video, I broke inside. I literally broke inside and I had never in my life experienced that level of emotional breakdown that I experienced watching the dehumanizing of a human life in that manner. And, um, and I was a wreck. I literally, Jill, I could not stop crying for three or four days after seeing that. And yeah, I went on and I functioned at work, but there was a point at the end of the day where I would just break down and, and I couldn't figure out why this was affecting me. So and I realized now I wasn't the only one <laughs> affected like this, but I actually sat in meditation and I had to really find a way to, 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 to realize what I was experiencing, but know that I felt a real calling to make an impact, but I didn't know how. I literally didn't know what I could do. I'm not a trained DEI specialist. There are people who've been doing this work for years. And what came to me was I was noticing on Facebook, you know, my my white-bodied friends were wanting and trying to say and do the right thing and they were sticking their feet in their mouths, you know, for lack of a better word. And um and they were getting canceled, shut down, cursed out, whatever on social media. Social media was like, well, it is mean, but it was really mean at that time. And what I saw was people really having the intention to want to say and do the right thing, but didn't know what it was and the danger of them being shut down and not saying anything, not doing anything at all, because what if I say the wrong thing and then everybody's going to hate me? And it came to me in a meditation that I could support white-bodied individuals with white privilege and create that safe space for them to listen and learn and to have resources and not be shut down or shame, blame, and guilted. And the first thing I did was I created a, a three-hour online forum called the Allyship Awareness Forum. And I just had my friends and family and anybody I knew spread the word on social media. And it was a three-hour event. I had five other ladies, including myself, who were powerhouses in the coaching community and in the DEI space. And we just did a kind of a town hall, 
town hall style forum on, on Zoom. And out of that forum came the Facebook group called the Intimacy of Race because we needed to continue the conversation. We needed to have resources available to people to learn. I mean, a lot of, a lot of um, black and brown people were like, it's not our job to teach white people. I heard that all the time and had a hard time getting women to be on the forum with me. But I'm like, somebody has to, <laughs> you know, somebody has to, we all have different roles to play and that may not be your role to play, but I found that, you know, it was a space that I could slide into and, and, um, and just provide resources. I'm not teaching classes or anything like that, but my, my superpower is teaching people how to have conversations that are safe and inclusive and not full of shame, blame, guilt, accusation, um, you know, um, reactions and, and defenses and all of that. And so, and that's how the book got its name, The Intimacy of Race, because it really is a synopsis of the forum and, and the lessons that came out of that forum and, and what was discussed in the forum. Why, why intimacy? I love that title, but it doesn't like, I, I, I know there's more to it. I'd love to know. You I know, know, I have been in, in so many various um, workshops and trainings where intimacy was given to me as a word. And when I was really focusing on relationship coaching for a while, it was really how to have these intimate conversations. And when it came to race and racism, these are intimate conversations because what I, what I was experiencing and what I was noticing is that the proverbial knee was taken off of the necks of so many in the uh, Black African American community. And we were vocal now, we were speaking up more and we were more intimate about sharing our life experiences and our feelings and our um, experiences with microaggressions and racism. And so, you know, we have to get intimate with this conversation. It can't be surface level. I love that. I think it's such a beautiful way to, to describe it um, as, as intimacy. Um, talk more about, if you would, about safety um, and what that means to you and, and why that's like how you provide it, why it's necessary for these types of conversations. Safety is necessary because when we don't feel safe in having these intimate conversations, we shut down. And so in order for us to have true inclusivity we have to believe the lived experiences that people are sharing. And most people listen not to understand, but to react, mm. respond, defend, fix, show you a better way, should all over you. Well, you should do this and you should mm. do this. And, uh, or make you defensive. Well, why, why did you feel that way? Why did you do that? And, um, and I'll give you an example. When I was in Germany last year, 
my husband and I went to visit his sister and she lives in an area of Germany. We, we live in Berlin when we, when we stay in the summers, which is very international and cosmopolitan and diverse, but she was living in one of these little towns that there weren't many people who looked like me, if at all mm-hmm. in the town. And I remember I went into, my husband was with his mother and they were just looking at the sites and I decided to walk into a local boutique on my own and felt the stairs hmm. and was height, you know, have a heightened awareness now to, to being the only one. And I felt really uncomfortable. And so as a teaching moment for my intimacy of race group, you know, I, I made a post about how I was feeling and how I was feeling like I was a monkey in a zoo. I was being stared at as a monkey in a zoo and I was tired, I was exhausted and it was hurtful. I just have more melanin, you know, I, I, I use this slide in my presentation a lot and I got an amazing amount of responses from the group. Oh, they're just staring because you're beautiful. You're mm-hmm. gorgeous. They've never seen such a confident, beautiful young lady. And all I would say 90% of the responses bypassed mm. the experience that I was sharing. And yes, I appreciate you wanting to make me feel better. But when you completely override my lived experience in that moment, I want to shut down. Mm-hmm. I don't want to share anymore. I don't feel heard. Nobody got me. Nobody understood me. And so that's my group. So of course I used it as a teaching moment for them to like, this is what happens when the voices of people of color and minoritized groups are shut down. Then we back off and we stop trying. Again, imagine if this was at your job and you shared this with your supervisor or something like that. Oh, no, that's not true. You know, and it was really bypassed at that moment. So when we are creating safe and inclusive spaces, we've got to listen to understand. We've got to acknowledge that person's lived experience as truth for them. And we get to, you know, I have a framework that I use to, to, for people to follow to create safety and inclusivity. And it's, you've got to listen, you've got to acknowledge, you've got to restate your understanding of what the person said, not that you understand, but here's your understanding, because you don't understand that lived experience. If you've grown up in a white body, because the perception of you in a white body is so, so different from the perception of me in a black or brown body. Mm -hmm. And you'll never be able to empathize with that experience because there's no way you could know what it's like to walk around in this skin color and be presumed um, suspicious or untrustworthy because of your skin color. You'll never know that. You'll know other things we could share, maybe, you know, alcoholic parents or abuse or whatever, we can share that. But as a, a lived experience in a black or brown body. And so that's why it's important to learn how to listen and acknowledge a person's lived experience, and then ask questions that create forward movement. Like, what would you like to experience instead? How can, mm-hmm. you know, you know, what, I mean, open-ended questions, like, what do we need to learn about this experience? Ask questions that really um, create collaborative forward movement. And so 
That's what I mean by creating safe and inclusive spaces. I love those questions. So um, what would you like to see instead? What are, are, what, are there some other examples of, of those questions that people can ask? Oh, girl, I got a whole list. <laughs> <laughs> what would it take to create progress on this issue? Um, you know, what would you like to experience instead? Um, what could you have done differently? Um, how can I, as a white person, support you in this? You know, what do you need from me? You know, what do we need to do to move this situation forward to be better, to do better? Mm -hmm. You know, it's always the what or how, you know, and I got a lot of, well, why did you think they were staring because you were black? What if it was because you were tall? You know, appreciate my lived experience. Um, right. You know, what are the next steps to take? You know, if it if it's in a work situation, like you know, who do you need to speak to to get this 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 resolved or to move this forward or to have you know to have somebody hear you? Who are the right people that need to hear you so that we can make sure this doesn't happen again or whatever? You know, but it's always you know what or how, who, but be really careful with why, because the why makes you, you know, creates that feeling of, I need to defend my mm. position. And then you've got that energy. I've experienced that why part in non-racialized settings. And it's the worst. It's like, I don't need to explain myself to you. So I can and also cannot imagine like in in the context that you're talking about it's even more even yeah. more personal, even more intimate as you're saying like it's you're questioning my identity and my experience mm -hmm. and my right to share that and my right to have that yeah and you know and it's important to note that when we are are in these conversations you know i i think this helps in all relationships i use it in my marriage all the time <laughs> you know i'm really careful with the why because i'm like why did you put that in that drawer when you know you know like that, <laughs> that's always happening to me but um you know it's important to note that you don't need to agree or disagree when someone is sharing with you you simply need to state that you understand what was said. And we, it's so human nature, like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I understand. Or no, that can't be right. Or no, that can be true. Or, you know what? I don't agree with you. But when you're creating a safe, inclusive space, it's not about you agreeing or disagreeing or offering your solutions. It's about simply, let, simply letting the other person know that you heard what was being said and that you have an understanding and you're checking to make sure am I, you know, that I understood this correctly. Here's what I heard you say. Did I get that right? What am I missing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's the most, like, I'm going to say basic, but I don't mean it in a bad way. Like the most important human need is to feel seen and heard. Do you feel like there's, is there anything more important than that? I mean, I in your it could opinion. be, um, you know, to feel loved, I guess as well, yeah. but you know, most conflict occurs when we don't feel seen, heard, yeah. acknowledged, or respected that I think that's the basis of most conflict. That's when we let our emotions take over. That's when we react instead mm -hmm. of respond. That's when we, um, have these 
um, what I call emotional, would lose the battle to our feelings. <clears throat> because now we're in this, this heightened, agitated state, and we, we can't hear any rationality at that point. But, you know, back when I was focusing solely on relationship coaching, I would always tell my clients, you've got to till the soil before you plant any seeds. And a lot of us are trying to plant seeds in hard, rocky soil full of, you know, old roots and, you know, crud and everything. You've got to make sure that whatever you want to plant um, in the conversation has the right soil to receive it so that that seed can germinate. And so you don't want to have a conversation with your spouse or your partner if they're hungry, tired, and cranky. <laughs> just don't, just don't. And, you know, I, I always like, you, you need to make sure it's a good time to talk. You need to make sure that everybody's fed. I, you know, I raised teenagers at one point and the last thing you want to do is have a conflict with a hungry, cranky teenager. It does not go well. But my point is that to always start with some level of acknowledgement and, and listening and actually just, you see people soften when you can acknowledge. I remember there was one situation where I wanted to let my husband know that his joke about my working out really hurt me. Mm. And the first thing I said was like, look, I know you love me and you would never intentionally hurt me. But when I heard you say this, this is how I felt. And I know that wasn't your intention, but I needed to let you know that's how I felt. And it never happened again. And we didn't get him fight over it. Because it wasn't that, oh, you know, I was only joking. You know, he didn't feel the need to defend because I was like, I know you didn't intend for this to happen. But when I heard that, it really hurt my heart. Most of us are like, how could you say that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so we really get to be intentional with how we, you know, have conversations and the important relationships in our lives. On that note, I'm just, I'm thinking, it makes me think of when people are not intentional and when people aren't, don't have, don't have your best intention and, you know, your, be your best, um, even if they think they do, but how do you, how do you cope with, how do you personally cope with people who are not actually interested in learning or changing? And how do you maybe recommend other people do that as well? Well, you, you know, this framework, works. If somebody is saying something to you that, you know, like I said, you don't have to agree that people are going to say things to you that you don't agree. You still get to practice the framework. Mm -hmm. Listen for understanding. Here's what I hear you say. A lot of times, like even in, in coaching my clients, when I say back to them, what I heard them say, and they hear it said back to them, you know, it's a light bulb moment for them. Like, Oh, yeah, that's not what I mean. And so this is what I hear you say. And then ask, you know, ask an open ended question. So, you know, what is the next best step for you in this situation? What do you think people should do? What do you think um, should happen next? How are we going to create a win win? It, it's still the same framework. It's not me agreeing with something somebody said that's fundamentally against but I said, but it's really having a conversation that draws them deeper into thinking about 
a solution or a forward movement and not just complaining about the state of affairs or not just stating their opinion willy-nilly. Like, well, what would be the next, you know, what do you think needs to happen when it, you know, in this election or, you know, what would you like to see? And how do you think we can get to that? And, um, and it's just being curious without being furious. And you know what, you don't have to agree you know, you can move on. But the, the point is that I think we can all have civilized conversations. I mean, I saw so many movies of, of our ancestors speaking to clans, clans members and, and trying to have rational conversations. But when people always feel that they need to defend and they're under attack, you cannot have a forward moving conversation. Are there ever times where you're just like, I'm done with this conversation. I've got to like pull back to protect myself. A lot of times. Yeah. That's yeah. where the self-care comes in because this work is exhausting. And to be honest with you, a lot of times I feel like giving up, like they just don't get it. They just don't get it. Why am I banging my head against the wall? And then I think about what generations before me have done. And, you know, and I'm living, a, I feel I'm living a privileged life and I don't have the right to be so tired that I give up. Mm. I just have the right to rest when I'm tired and re-energize to get back up and go again. How do you re-energize yourself? How do you rest? Oh my God, there's so many things I do. You know, and this is part of my high performance coaching. You know, when you when you see a, a NASCAR race and the, the lead cars are always getting off to take a pit stop, I take pit stops throughout the day so that I can continue to race and 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 get through my day at peak performance and not break down and not run out of gas and not have a tire blow out. It's funny because I just did a Facebook Live. I have my um and I went through my energy generating habits for performance that I actually have on a postcard that I give out at speaking events. Um, but when I do feel like I'm at my wits end, the first thing I do is I stop, I pull back um, and I have, um, I just take stock to clear my head. And the best thing for me is walk outside you know, to walk the dog, to clear my head. Um, a lot of times I have books that I go to that I listen to on Audible that helped me. I have a meditation routine um, a technique that releases that bad energy. And I don't go back into it until I'm feeling prepared to go back into the ring, if you will. Yeah. But um, there's, a, there's a lot of things I do. I have a tr mini trampoline downstairs. A lot of times just bouncing on that to some powerful music um, works for me. Mm-hmm. How do you recognize, like, do you have a, like a, I've heard a lot of coaches talk about this and I always find it so interesting. Like what's your sign? Like there's like a, and you don't, if it's too personal then obviously don't share, but like, what's your cue to yourself that I'm at my wit's end or that I'm done and need oh, to you just feel that you're done. Like it, it really comes to me. Like that's it. I'm done. I want to give up. Okay. So it's, that's it's, my cue. It's a feeling like I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, this is I'm not getting anywhere. People aren't listening. This is too. I feel like I, you know, people, people don't get it. And, um, you know, because I'll post some controversial things on Facebook, and I and I read the comments. Um, I don't respond to a lot of them, because a lot of times I'm in reactionary road mode. But that's mm -hmm. the other thing I do, I will not respond to a trigger until I'm prepared to respond to a trigger. 
I don't need your response. And, you know, even, even in my own relationship, I, I'll ask, you know, I need to have a think on this. You know, I can't talk about this right now. Can we, you know, table this? Because right now I feel like I want to pop a cap in somebody's <laughs> like, this is not working right now. It's not going to be pretty if we talk about this now. So I, I, you know, I need some space and, you know, having that, you know, knowing myself, but also regularly resetting and recharging through throughout the day. Um, I always use the example of when I found out my mom passed, I was meditating and there was so much as an only child that I had to deal with, with an aging dad and, you know, my children being in breakdown and um, the funeral home getting things wrong. And it was like I had an out-of-body experience about how well I was handling all of this pressure. And I was like, who is this woman? And I had been, I had only been maybe three or four months into meditating. It was something I always wanted to do, but never thought I could do. I was always too busy. How do you stop your mind? But I read this book by Emily Fletcher called um, Stress Less, Accomplish More. She Have teaches you read that? the same technique I teach. She's one of my colleagues. That's so, I was going to ask That's you, I was like, she's talking about meditation, like the way I talk about meditation. That's yeah. so, yeah, she, so she's, Ziva is her brand and she, yes. she learned yeah. meditation as did I. And so she's mm -hmm. kind of taken it in her own, to her, in her own path. Small uh, world, huh? All the same. So <laughs> that you, was a, that book was a life changer for me. Wow. Life changer because I just felt like a meditation fail. Like my brain is too busy. There's four families of squirrels in there. This is yeah. never going to work. <laughs> and, um, but I did a challenge with one of my other coaches and I just started by little five minute um, YouTube meditations. And then I graduated to, to Emily's and, and it really like, I'm so impressed that I didn't curse out anybody who was making all the mistakes back then. I just sailed through it with ease and flow while I was grieving. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. I love that's a, such an interesting synchronicity that, that, uh, and, and it's all just from her book. You didn't like end up taking any of her courses or anything. No, I didn't. I didn't probably watched a couple of her videos. Um, but yeah, it was just from, from the book. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. It's a great book. I read it. And um, yeah, I read it. I think I had it on audible first. Usually if I love it on audible, I'll buy the hard copy and then I'll mark it up and highlight it. Mm -hmm. but if I don't love you on audible. I don't buy your hard copy. Right. right. <laughs> that's incredible. That's incredible. So yeah. So it sounds like that's a, a really great tool for you as well. Mm. How can people find you and work with you and pick up what you are um, putting down? Oh, you know, if, if anyone is really serious about um, the work that I do and are seriously considering, you know, you can just go to talkwitheva.com and get on my calendar. And I am happy to see if the work that I do will benefit you or your companies or or whatever. So I'm happy to do that. Mm -hmm. But you can find me on my website at evamedelec.com. Hey, do you think that they would love the um, the energy generating habits? Because sure. if you go to evamedelec.com forward slash energy, you can get a download of all of the things that have worked for me to create the energy to be able to do what I need to do throughout the day. Yes. Who doesn't want more energy? I want more energy. <laughs> That's amazing. When we first talked, I was, we were talking about, I remember we were talking about drinking water 
And I have this, like, you had to go get, fill up your glass. And I was like, oh, I have this huge jug. And you were like, I drink from a small glass so that I have to keep getting up to refill it. And I was like, that's amazing. It's so insightful. I feel like I might just let it stay empty and then I would like get dehydrated, but (laughs) I love water so much that maybe it would actually make it up. So I, I, I love that you have because I'm yeah. like, I would just not get up. I make you know, a big pitcher of water uh, with lemon, uh, cucumber, and apple cider vinegar. Mm-hmm. It's my detox water. And because I, I love lots of ice cubes in my water, I just, it's so refreshing to me. And yeah, I mean, it's not a tiny glass, but you know, I, I drink it all day and then I have to get up. And when well, you drink a lot of water, you got to get up anyway, right? For reasons. <laughs> so you might as well, for me, run downstairs and get water and come back up. So yeah. it keeps me, thank God, I'm on the top floor. My husband's on the bottom floor, <laughs> running up and down. And then sometimes we meet in the middle and, you know, catch up for the day. It's it's so cool to work from home. It's the yeah. decision I've ever made. <laughs> Um, well, that's wonderful. Well, Eva, thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing insights and the work that you're doing and, and for, for teaching white people like me, how to be better and engage better and, and, and to really forward conversations, um, in a collaborative way. I, I just, I've learned so much from you. So thank you so much. Oh, for- I appreciate that. And thank you for the opportunity to chat with you about it. Of course. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D. And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.